In this message, we want to look at Luke chapter 10. This, this is one of the most familiar passages in all the Gospels. It's a great story. It is a story that I go back to often to check myself. Every time I look at this passage, it convicts me of where my priorities are and where my, my focus is. Uh, but this is one of those great stories in Scripture. I think, actually, the first person I ever heard preach on this passage was Ron Dunn when he was preaching a message on prayer in the 1970s, late 70s, early 80s. But, but I want to deal with a question that is in this text. And, and you remember, we're looking in this approachable series at questions either Jesus asks of people or people ask <coughs> of Jesus. This is a story of a family, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Jesus often visited this family. This journey in, begins in Luke chapter 9 and verse 57 when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And this is a favorite place for him to stop. This, this family, two sisters and a brother, were like family to Jesus. He felt safe there. He felt comfortable there. Uh, but we get a unique insight into the authenticity of the Word of God because we see a family squabble inside this family. Now, these people love Jesus. Jesus ministers to them. Later in John's gospel, he raises Lazarus from the dead. I mean, he has such interaction with these people. They're more like family than they are friends. And they have ministered to and encouraged Jesus and his disciples. But what we get in this passage is a little squabble between two sisters and they go to Jesus. Martha goes to Jesus to get him to settle the squabble. Now, I personally am grateful that my family squabbles have not been recorded in the Bible uh, because there would be times when I would be really embarrassed for anybody to know about family squabbles, most of which are of my making because I'm a man in a home all through our kids growing up with two daughters, a wife, and every pet we had was a female. So, I mean, it's like a girl's dorm. So, you know, I'm the one that's out of sorts in those kind of situations. Well, I got to thinking about this, and uh, we were up in the mountains uh, when I was doing some treatments, and, and it was Mother's Day weekend, and so people are coming in for Mother's Day weekend, and, and the weather was beautiful. It was like 62 degrees up in the mountains, and so we just opened the doors and all of a sudden, from a cabin below us, at least 300 yards below us, we hear this screaming woman and this argument and this vile, profane argument, words coming out of this lady's mouth, and we can hear every word that's being said. And I thought to myself, I bet if this lady knew how far her voice was carrying, she would either go inside or she would tone it down. But she was letting her wrath out on somebody or a group of somebodies in her home. This is not what's happening in Luke's gospel, but it is a reminder that sometimes people hear what we think they would never hear, or they see what we think they would never see. This is a story that deals with priorities. 
It digs below the surface. It's an examination of our motives. And so the two things that I want you to see here at the beginning, all of us left to ourselves design a God we can live with. Now, I'm going to say something in a moment. Let me just insert it, something right here. The God we can live with has, tends to have our personality. In other words, if we're an introvert, we, won't, we think our God is an introvert. If we're an extrovert, we think our God is an extrovert. And, and we tend to design a God that is like us. Second thing, God is more interested in you seeking his presence than your performance. The first priority, remember when Jesus called his disciples, he called them that they might be with him. God is much more concerned about our presence and our performance. Uh, when you think about what happens when we die, we will be in the presence of the Lord. And so life is to be a dress rehearsal for what we will be doing for all eternity, and that's being in the presence of God. As Manly Beasley said, a glimpse of God will save you, but to gaze at him will sanctify you. We all approach life differently. I mean, my wife and I are different personalities. I'm different than other personalities on our staff. Uh, you know, I'm an extrovert, but I'm easily an introvert because I like to just sit and study. There are peoples, people groups that you can put over here on the side and say, these people are extroverts. They never meet a stranger. Then there are introverts. They never want to meet a stranger. And it doesn't mean that one is right and what is wrong. It means that we are made differently. It's not that Martha had the wrong personality and the wrong emotional DNA and Mary had the right personality and the right emotional DNA. They were different, but they needed to both relate to Jesus in the right way. And so this is a battle of temperaments. And here's another lesson we need to learn in this battle of temperaments. Busy hands do not excuse us from the necessity of the bowed heart. Busy hands do not excuse us from the necessity of the bowed heart. Uh, I'm a type A, high D person. I like to be busy. And sometimes I can get busy, but I'm not being quiet with the Lord. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. You think of all the stress that he is under in the, in the man side of God, the son of man. You think of the emotions that he's dealing with. For all eternity, he has known this time was coming. He has set his face toward Jerusalem, and he really wants to have some peace and quiet. In this home that's somewhere on the eastern side in Bethany of the Mount of Olives, he, he wants some peace and quiet, he, and he's, he, we need to be careful that we are quick to be like Martha and not to be like Mary because Jesus wants to spend time with us. So let's pick up in the text in verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and the woman named Martha welcomed him. That word means to admit someone under your roof for the purpose of entertaining. So she welcomed him to entertain him, to provide a meal for him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary 
who was seated at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. But Martha was, circle the word, distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to do all the serving? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried, draw a line from worried to distracted, and bothered, draw a line from worried to bothered, about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. In the Gospel of Luke, there are five times when you see someone at the feet of Jesus. And this is in your notes, which you can download on our app, and I encourage you to get them because in in these evening messages especially, I'm trying to give you notes that are kind of hooks that you can hang on to uh, between the points. But this is in your notes with some fill-in-the-blank. Five people that are at the feet of Jesus. Number one, the woman weeping at the feet of Jesus in chapter 7 and verse 38. The man sitting at his feet, chapter 8 and verse 35. The ruler falling at his feet, chapter 8 and verse 41. The leper praising at his feet, chapter 17, verses 15 and 16. And Mary listening at his feet, chapter 10 and verse 39. Now, every time you see Mary mentioned in the Gospels, She seems to be at the feet of Jesus. This is in your notes, so I just want you to look at it. Luke 10, she's at his feet saying, Lord, I want you. John 11, 32, she's at his feet saying, Lord, I need you. These are her attitudes while she's at the feet of Jesus. In chapter 12 and verse 3, she's at his feet and her actions say, Lord, I love you. So here's what it means to be at the feet of Jesus. Prayer is not just preparation for the work. It is the work. It is the work. The work begins and is bathed and is covered in prayer. It's like the old Fanny Crosby song, Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious, bleeding side. A few weeks ago, Bill Ellis sent me a review copy of a new book that he's working on. I love Bill's books on prayer. They are so practical and edifying and encouraging and challenging. But this new one is entitled Simple Prayer, Joining God for the Rest of Your Life. And it is a great book, and when it comes out, we'll make it available. Uh, But Bill writes in that book a prayer that he has prayed for 50 years, and this may be one of the best one-sentence prayers I've ever seen anybody write down. This is his prayer he's prayed every day for 50 years. Father, please make me a man of unceasing prayer. Make me a man of unceasing prayer. I have known some people like that. Don Miller was that kind of person. Uh, uh, Ron Dunn was a person who knew how to pray without ceasing 
in, in everything he was doing. Manly Beasley was like that. Uh, I know other people that are like that. Bill has exemplified that to me. Tom Elliff, others have exemplified that kind of thinking. But I want to read you just a couple of sentences out of this book. So you heard it here first, unless he preached it at his church. Everything you do is based on value. If you think exercise or reading or entertainment will bring meaning to your life, you will spend huge amounts of time there. If you think those things are worthless, you will give your attention to something else. In other words, where we find ourselves spending our time, our energy, our money, our resources, that's what we really value. And let's just be honest. Some of us value our cars and our boats and our entertainment and our season tickets and all these. Some of us value that more than we value the Lord because it's where our focus is. Now, when you read the Bible, the Bible is a book of prayer requests and answer to prayers. In fact, someone has counted all of these up and says that there are 650 prayers in the Bible and 450 recorded prayers in the Bible. In other words, prayer is not peripheral, it's foundational. So now we're at the first point. This is how Martha would have said it if she lived in 2020. Lord, can we talk? Can we just talk? And the key to this conversation is Jesus is seeking to teach Martha that being comes before doing. Here are two things that I know I'm guilty of. Number one, I know I'm guilty at times of serving God because it is a job rather than a calling. And you can do that whether you're an usher, a greeter, a Sunday school teacher, a missionary, a staff member, a pastor, a volunteer, or paid. That it just becomes a job. And we forget the joy of our calling. The other thing is we can use our, using our gifts can seem like an obligation rather than a privilege. That God has gifted us with spiritual gifts of mercy, of kindness, of hospitality, of encouragement, of exhortation, of teaching, of preaching. Whatever it is that God has gifted us and, and we can feel like, well, I need to volunteer because it's the right thing to do. Rather than it's the privilege that we get to do that for the Lord. When it becomes an obligation, you've lost your joy of being at the feet of Jesus. And you've got to get back to the feet of Jesus because that's where... The joy in serving comes. Jesus isn't looking for people who can bark on demand, roll over, or perform. Jesus is looking for intimacy. He wants a relationship that we might be with him, that we would sit before we serve. Too often, we are serving before we sit. Now, in your notes, Jesus made three calls in the New Testament. I think, really, these three statements summarize the earthly ministry of Jesus. First of all, he said, come to me. Come to me. That's an invitation to salvation. It's also an invitation to sanctification. He said, follow me. That's an invitation to obedience. Don't just follow from a distance. Follow close enough that when you hear what I say, 
and see what I'm doing, that you obey what I tell you to do. And the third one is abide in me. That's an intimacy. That's a cooperation. You abide in me and I abide in you, John 15. So come to me, follow me, and abide in me. The, the difference in Martha and Mary in this story is that Jesus is present with both of them, but one of them is in his presence. And that's a huge difference. You see, we are so concerned with the work of the Lord that we have forgotten the Lord of the work. One of the things this shutdown has done is we can't do some of the things we used to do. So has it drawn us closer to the Lord? Have we sat at the feet of Jesus? Have we pondered? Have we meditated on the Word of God? Have we prayed for wisdom? Lord, what are you trying to teach us here? One of our church members uh, sent me uh, an email uh, this week, and she, she said in the email, it's that the, if the Lord is just screaming at us, this is not a drill. We are in the midst of a battle. We are in the midst of a crisis. It is a call, first of all, to pray before it is to speak and act. Vance Havner said, we're too busy chopping the wood to take time out to sharpen the axe. Bob George said, we have forgotten that the Christian life is Christ, not just a changed lifestyle, but straying from Christ as our life, listen to what he says, we have no further option than to substitute furious activity and service. So here's the stage. Martha's probably the leader in the home. She's the type A person. She's the get-her-done woman. I mean, you want a job done, you get her done. I'm sure when Jesus shows up, there's some, some catching up. But Martha was more comfortable doing and busy in the kitchen than she was in sitting and listening. So probably after exchanging some pleasantries, I'm using my sanctified imagination, she says, excuse me, I'm going to go make sure that the rolls are cooked and the okra is frying and the chicken has is, is got a good crispy taste to it and the corn on the cob is good and, and the watermelon's cut and, then the, and the fruit salad is made or whatever she was making she can. She knows she's got to get back in the kitchen. And so after she exchanges some pleasantries, she excuses herself, she goes into the kitchen. And so while Jesus is pouring in to his disciples and talking about whatever he's talking about, which we don't know at this point, whatever he's talking about, she's banging around with the pots and pans and, and she's fetching water from outside in the well and she's having a hard time hearing what Jesus is saying because she's making so much noise. Now, that easily happens. Sometimes Terry will be in the kitchen and say something to me, and I'm, I'm right there in the next room. But I'll, then I'll say something, and she'll say, hold on, let me turn the water off. Let me, let me turn this off so that we can hear clearly. Noise distracts. It's just the way it works. Noise distracts us. And Martha loved Jesus. There's no doubt she loved Jesus. But she tried to prove her love for Jesus by her hard work rather than just sitting and listening to him. Maybe she had forgotten what Jesus said 
in Matthew 6, 31, take no thought of what you shall eat or of what you shall drink, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now notice in the text, now as they were traveling along, that suggests that Jesus surprised them. Now, I don't know about your house, I know about my house, and I know about most people's houses. Most people are not ready for unexpected company. It's like when Cousin Eddie showed up in Christmas vacation with the old RV. We weren't ready for Cousin Eddie to show up. And somebody shows up and says, hey, we're going to be here. Can, can we be here? Uh, what you got in the refrigerator? We hadn't been to the grocery store. You know, we're out of Coke and Diet Coke. And, and, and we panicked. And that's what Martha probably did. I mean, she was probably just preparing a nice little meal for her and, and Mary and Lazarus. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus and his 12 disciples. She's not ready. So she's frustrated. And she's banging around in the kitchen and she's trying to see what she's got to eat. And then she realizes, Where, where's Mary? I, I need her to make the sweet tea. I need her to put on the decaf coffee. I, I need her to get, the things are not ready and this is going to get cold before I get everything else ready. So I need her to come. And so she barges in. And she says, Jesus, tell my sister to get in the kitchen where she belongs. She doesn't need to be out here with you. She needs to be in there with me. So here's what's going on. Martha is distracted. Mary is delighted. Martha is coming apart at the seams serving Jesus. And Mary has come apart to listen to Jesus. So I, I just, again, I can picture these stories in my mind because these houses were very small. They would have been crammed in to these small little square mud limestone houses of some kind. And I can just see Martha not fully understanding Jesus is headed to the cross, not fully understanding he needs this break. I can just see her stepping around the kitchen and pointing at Jesus and saying, can I see you for a minute? I need to talk to you about what's going on here. Apparently, you're not aware of my needs. Do you care? And so she basically gets in Jesus' face about where Jesus' heart is and where Jesus... Do you really love me? If you love me, you would tell my sister to get in here and help me. Lord, do you not care? I'm working my fingers to the bone. I am sweating. I, you know, I, I'm not ready for all of this. Lord, make her come in here and help me. And then Jesus responds, Martha, Martha. That's kind of like when your parents used your full name when you were in trouble. You know, when my, when my dad said Michael Cameron Cat, I, I knew I was pretty much in trouble. She's in trouble. She didn't even realize it yet. But he uses her name twice and he says, you are focused on the wrong thing. You're worried about stuff that I'm not worried about. When I heard Ron preach this message years ago, he made a great statement. When Jesus is in the house, let the beans burn. 
They're not the priority. What Martha was doing wasn't wrong. It's just that she was upside down in her attitudes and in her priorities. Why? Because activity doesn't produce spirituality. You can be the busiest person on the planet in the church. You can have 20 jobs and be up here 24 hours a day, but that doesn't mean you're spiritual. Activity doesn't make us spiritual. Spirituality baptizes our activities so we know the difference between good and better and best. In fact, the busier we are, the more we need to be alone with Jesus. So verse 40 describes some of us. Martha was distracted with all her preparation. It it probably never occurred to her in this moment that Jesus would not always be physically present. That this was one of the last times he would be in her home. And one of the last times she would see him before the cross. She needed to drop the urgent for the important. I think I know why people get tired. You know, we, we are at the end of a season when people used to serve in preschool and children and youth and, and teaching adults for 20 or 30, some 40 years. We have some people still doing that, but their numbers are shrinking. Now what we have is people who serve one year and say, ah, I'm so tired. I don't think I can stand at the door and usher anymore. I, I, I'm so tired. I don't think I can teach eighth graders anymore. I'm so tired. I don't think I can deal with bed babies anymore. And they've worked a year or two. Can I tell you why you quit? This is just me trying to be your shepherd. You quit because you're serving out of emptiness rather than fullness. And I want to tell you, when you serve out of emptiness, 30 minutes can wear you out because you're not constantly filling your tank with the Word of God, with the presence of God, and abiding in an intimate relationship with Him. Serving should be out of the overflow. He says you're distracted. It's the only time this word appears in the New Testament. It means to be pulled away or preoccupied to be torn in different directions. Roger Breland said a man told him when he started truth, God will never use you publicly until he tutors you privately. Could it be that our busyness in serving without sitting will result in one day nothing more than wood and hay and stubble because we just served in our flesh? We never served in the power of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer said, God wants worshipers before workers. Indeed, the only acceptable workers are those who have learned the art of worship. Now, serving is important, but sitting is essential. So the question is, and second point, will we listen? Verse 39, Mary, who was seated at his feet listening to his word. The, The word implies humility and submission. So here are four quick things in the comparison between Martha and Mary. Both of them loved Jesus, but here's the comparison. Martha was concerned with performance. Mary was consumed with position. Martha was worried about serving. Mary was focused on sitting. Now, as you look at those, Jesus did not rebuke Martha 
for serving. He just said you need to get things in the right order. There's a time to meditate, and there's a time to minister. Jesus doesn't condemn her for what she is doing as much as for what she has not been doing. You are worried and bothered by so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part. Now, this is not condemning laziness. This is condemning busyness that takes precedence over business with the Lord. You're worried and bothered. It means you're just in an uproar. You're just tossed about. You're stressed out. Your blood pressure's up. Your mind is blown. You're frustrated with other people. Why? Because you're busy, but you haven't been doing business with Jesus. So let's get back to what's important. One thing is necessary. Lord, do you care? Yes, uh, in fact, I do care. I care about the one thing that is necessary. That's what I care about. The word means a requirement or a demand or really an employment. Jesus is saying your job is to sit before you serve. What Mary was doing was what the Lord required first. I'm guilty. Far too often I find myself stressed about things that will not matter the next day, the next hour, or one millisecond after I'm gone. There's a great deal of difference between one thing and many things. The good part has to be chosen. You see, Jesus will survive if Martha doesn't feed him. But Martha will not survive if Jesus doesn't feed her. One of the first quotes I ever wrote in the front of one of my first Bibles after I was saved was this quote, and it's an old quote. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this good book. Mary has chosen the best part. It's a culinary term. Interesting, he uses the term that a cook would use. She's chosen the choice cut of beef, the prime rib. It, 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 it implies that she's rejected all the other things, the filler things, to go for the best thing, the good part, the choice morsel. Listen, Jesus can always turn stones into bread. Jesus can always find a boy with a lunchbox. Jesus can always make the angels sing. He doesn't need us. We need him. Ravenhill said, The self-sufficient do not pray. The self-satisfied will not pray. And the self-righteous cannot pray. I've never met anybody that spent too much time with Jesus. Because I think when you spend time with Jesus, you know when he prompts you to get up and go do something. Havner said, our efficiency without God's sufficiency is only a deficiency. Jesus said, what Mary has chosen shall not be taken away from her. You see, what you learn at the feet of Jesus, you never lose. You say, well, you know, I I know people that have dementia and I know people that have Alzheimer's and and you know I've forgotten some things I've learned it's in there it's in that brain it's in your computer it's in your heart and most of all 
What you've learned at the feet of Jesus has been stored up in heaven as well. So think about Mary just a minute. When she sat at the feet of Jesus, she blessed Jesus. When she was at his feet at the grave of Lazarus, she blessed her peers, her contemporaries. Just jot down John eleven forty five. Many, therefore, of the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done believed in him. Why did they believe in him? Because of what they saw in Mary. She blessed Jesus by sitting at his feet. At his feet at the tomb of Lazarus, she blessed others. And then when she anointed him with perfume in Mark chapter 14 and verse 9, she blessed me. And she blessed you. She's been dead almost 2,000 years. But listen to Mark 14 and verse 9. Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. I've been to Israel a lot of times. I have no idea where Mary is buried. I can find Bethany. We have no idea where the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus was in Bethany. It's long gone. People can speculate. Someone could tell you that's it, but we don't know. There's no physical address in the Bible. But I can tell you this. Just talking about Mary today is a blessing almost 2,000 years after she's dead. Look at what Jesus says. Also, that also which this woman has done shall be spoken of in memory of her. The food that Martha prepared, gone. The aroma of Christ in the life of Mary, forever. Forever. It was an aroma in the nostrils of Jesus it is an aroma in heaven, and every time anybody talks about Mary, that aroma of her life spills out in the spreading of the gospel and the uplifting of the saints. I'll close with this quote by Spurgeon. Let us sit at the feet of Jesus, and by earnest prayer call on his blessed aid that our dull wits may grow brighter and our feeble understandings may receive heavenly things. Last thought. The secret of a godly life is what you don't see. Let me pray for you. Father, I must admit, I am so much more like Martha than I am like Mary. And at times I can become envious of someone like Mary and of people that I know are far better prayer warriors and intercessors than I am or, or ever, ever will be. But that does not excuse me from needing to carve out time to sit at your feet. So Lord, as we come 
hopefully out of this pandemic and these crises and we get back into some kind of normal routines and we get back into church life, I pray that what happens will be that it will be obvious to everyone that we serve that we have been sitting before we've been serving. That we haven't put the cart before the horse. That we've opened our Bibles, that we've spoken words in prayer to you, that we've listened to you and learned from you so that when we do serve, we serve out of the overflow, not out of the fumes of an empty life that leads to frustration and quitting and is ultimately a sign of a backslidden condition. So Lord, I pray for everyone that hears this message. May the aroma of Mary's life permeate our homes, our hearts, our lives, our ministries. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.